Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. 
Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to another Monday closer to deer season with the Southern Outdoorsman podcast. I'm Andrew Maxwell, and this is Jacob Myers sitting right next to me. Jacob, how you doing? Woo! Man. speakers out. Okay, guys, we are post- Podcast, yeah, with Glenn Solomon, yes, and th- got, listen, this th- th- guy, this, listen, guys, we're excited about this one, dude. Listen, this, this is okay. This is like top for me for for me for deer hunting podcast. This is like top two, maybe. I mean, I can't even. Maybe Richard Fott was another one that got me like real jacked up. No, but it wasn't like this though. It wasn't like this. This is way more relatable. Yeah. Listen, if if you're in the deep south, all right, the deep south, you're hunting pines. When I say this episode is going to get you fired up, you're gonna meet a guy, Glenn Solomon, who is a buck publicly and buck slayer when it comes to hunting buck beds. Yes. I mean, pretty much the whole season, and it is absolutely ridiculous. Okay. So now wait. The reason this is so cool, okay, yeah, is that cool. is that Glenn is like man, he's like an old school hunter, old school, and he figured this out on his own. He did, he doesn't know who Dan Enfold is, he doesn't know who Andre DeQuisto is, he doesn't know what the Hunting Beast is. Like when he started talking, we were just like, holy crap! I mean, dude, it's ridiculous, man. Dude, he's, like, a, he's an OG. It's it's. It's the exact same kind of stuff, but from a Southerner's perspective. So it's different, same tactics, but different, man. He covers like he he covers killing an eleven point last year out of its bed. He covers um, uh, bump and dump tactics, dude. I mean, I was mind blown when he started going through this because I didn't know that about him. Yeah. I knew that he was a good. Hun- he killed a couple. <laughs> I knew he killed a couple bucks last year, oh. and the reason I know Glenn <clears throat> is because. He writes for Georgia Outdoor News, and then I also write for Georgia Outdoor News sometimes. I mainly write for Alabama Outdoor News. But uh, I wrote a squirrel hunting article in Alabama Outdoor News last year. And at that same time, Glenn had one out in Georgia Outdoor News. And somehow we we saw that, and I like reached out to him, and we talked a little bit. And then I kind of followed him around because his article was way better than mine. Just saying. Like, if you want a good squirrel hunting article, go look at Glenn's. Because, man, like, I read his, I was like, dang, dude. This guy knows. He shows like, you up. He's a he's a woodsman, man. He's a true, true woodsman. He's a true southern outdoorsman. He's a true southern outdoorsman. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's how we got linked up. And so then I followed along with him on his deer season through Facebook. And I'm like, Jesus, dude, this guy killed five bucks in Georgia. So he killed, he filled his state tags and then killed a couple bonus bucks, which is how he was able to do that. Uh, five mature bucks. On Georgia, I mean, on Georgia public Hope land. land. Yeah. yeah. It is ridiculous, guys. And, oh, my God. I mean, oh, dude, it's it's, it's a super, super, super exciting episode, especially for any of the guys in the, in the Deep South that just wants to hear kind of that hunting bee style mm-hmm. of, of hunting from someone that, first of all, doesn't know who that – doesn't know – Doesn't uh, know what the hunting beast is. Does not know what that is. Don't Does not know – never even heard of Dan Infault or Cody – or uh, Cody yeah. DeQuisto, Andre DeQuisto, whatever. Yeah. And – Again, you're hearing it from a perspective from somebody that has gone out there and has 35 years of experience doing this. Yep. It, it, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, this dude is hardcore. Dude, it, this man was talking about using a come-along and, like, ratcheting three tiny pine trees together to get a climber on. Yeah. That is making your own luck, if I've ever heard it. Yes. That is hardcore. 
And, <laughs> and the funny thing is, you know, you hear a lot of guys like talk about topics like this, but they don't have anything to back it up where this guy has the freaking bone to back ooh, it up. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. So, you guys are going to absolutely love this episode. <laughs> We're extremely excited to bring it to you. This is probably one of our top, by far one of our top deer hunting episodes we've ever done. And to be honest, on Southern Deer Hunting Topics, this might be one of the best ones I've ever heard podcast-wise, period, across the board. Yeah. And not by our doing, just by Glenn's doing. Just by Glenn. Yeah, yeah. We didn't do nothing. Yeah. I mean, I, we, honestly, we, this is the Glenn show. He, yeah. The 95% of this is him talking because – I mean, dude, he gets he gets going. He's very much like Mr. Benny. Yep. He gets going and he just starts talking, and you just sit back and you need to just listen to what he's saying because that man knows what he is talking about. And we we did interrupt him whenever we could to like expand on some topics because this is all second nature to him. So he'll blow right past stuff where we're like, ho ho ho, what yeah, did yeah. you just say? It's like bring it back around, bud. Bring it back around. Yeah. Like when he was talking about the bumping up stuff. You were like, whoa, bud. I was like, like, ho ho ho, hold on right there. Yeah. I uh, did extreme tactics, man. Like this guy's talking about, and you'll hear this in the episode. I know we're beating around the bush, but we just wanted to preface it because we're pumped up about it and we're sitting here. But uh like he's talking about uh, getting in the stand at freaking twelve thirty a.m. No, no his, his buddy, buddy, his buddy, his buddy did getting that. in the stand and killing like a one hundred and sixty nine inch buck. Yeah, that he yeah. never advertised. But yeah, oh, oh man, that gets me excited, dude. Oh, it gets me excited. Yeah, so, yeah I'm not doing that. I'm not getting the stand at twelve thirty. I'm sorry. I've yeah. gotten in a stand way early before. And you can do it with slept. the climber because you could totally sleep in a climber. You're not doing that. I'm not doing that in a saddle, and I'm yeah. not doing that in a lock on. Just me, man. <laughs> if I, hey, if I had that summit, if I had a summit viper. Oh, yeah. Son, I'll be passed it's out. It's funny because he's talking about getting way up in a pine tree in like a thicket so you can see down into it. Into the bed. That's a topic that we've never really talked about. Or really, no one's really heard about, I don't think, is getting so high up in elevation. And he does archery. This, yeah, hunt. you he, can't do this in the Midwest. This is purely a Southern so, tactic. Yeah, Southern tacti- tactic. But, um, you know, he he he's a, he bow hunts, he muzzler hunts, he, he takes a rifle out. And, I mean, he gets – in these bedding areas and gets extremely high where he can look down in these individual beds. And again, a lot of times he says like the vegetation is, you know, head high, but when the deer stands up, you got a clear shot of the vitals yep. and it's like, it's ridiculous. Again, yeah. this is going to fire you guys up. If this does not get you fired up, you, I don't know why you're go, following go us. Go play golf. Well, I, and I don't know why you're subscribed to the podcast. <laughs> so, anyways, I'm just going to put that down. But, hey, if it does fire you up, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. Make sure you already follow along on the YouTube channel at the Southern Outdoorsman. Make sure you are on the Run and Gun Facebook page. If you are not on the Run and Gun Facebook page, yeah. Run and Gun Whitetail Hunters, I don't know what you're doing. I said that last week's episode. I'm saying it this week's episode. We had a couple guys join. Again, I know the numbers we're doing on the podcast. If you are not on the Run and Gun, White Tail Hunters page, you are missing out. Big that, time. That's enough. All right. Perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is going to be a cool episode. We're going to send this to Dan Infault because oh, I yeah. really want Dan to listen to this. Oh, yeah. And just, I, I'd love Dude, to Dan, Dan it's, it's, it's right up Dan's alley. I'm telling you. And yeah. again, seeing it from a Southerner's perspective or maybe, shoot, it'd be awesome if they partnered up and did a video on Southern betting and kind of yeah. and kind of broke that down because definitely Glenn could do it. And again, with yeah. kind of Dan coming down and maybe doing a freaking workshop, who knows? And having Glenn there, it would be freaking ridiculous. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd pay. I'd, I'd, pay. I'd, I'd, I'd be yeah. there. I think a lot of Southerners would really get some good help out of that. Because right now, and one of the reasons that like kind of we started this podcast is all these Midwestern tactics, and they work, but they have to be modified to work down here, in my yep. opinion. Yep. Like, yep. they're just not the same. And vice versa. Like, the tactic where – you're getting 40 feet up in a pine tree and a climber and shooting a buck down in his bed 100 yards away in a pine thicket that's over your head thick. 
you can't do that in like Iowa. There's, I don't think I can't think of anywhere that I've ever seen in Missouri or Iowa. Well, maybe Missouri. You're not getting a climber that high. I mean, you, I've no. seen I've seen some uh, cottonwoods that are freaking huge in Missouri, but you're taking a lock on and you're you're using yeah. climbing spurs going up that tree. I've done that one time on a W May hunt, and it was like the last day of season. It was the first year we had the February season, and I got a climber. And I climbed until, you know, when you're in planted pines and it goes up like a telephone pole and then you get to the very canopy, like the top and the limbs start. I climbed all the way to that. I mean, all the way to the top. And I was so far up there that it was like pretty sketchy and I'm not afraid of heights. And yeah, I could see down into all that crap. Saw all kinds of deer. Yep. Sounds pretty cool. All right. I think that's enough. I think we talked enough. We just should jump right into this episode. It is fantastic. Everybody, I'm telling you, especially if you're looking for topics like this and tactics this is going to be your episode even if you're a midwestern guy because i know we have guys that listen from across the country especially in the uh, the northeast uh, the pennsylvania area all it's like new hampshire and, and i think a couple in maine then out midwest as well even though some like the vegetation we're talking about you know trees and stuff aren't going to be mm-hmm. what you're hunting i think a lot of these tactics can benefit you especially on how glenn goes in and uh, do does some of these tactics so it's extremely beneficial i think you're going to really enjoy it and Dude, let's just turn it over to Glenn Solomon. All right, everybody. We're back with Mr. Glenn Solomon, who has been very patient with us because we messed up the last recording. Um, so, Glenn, we really appreciate you coming back on, man. How are you doing? All right. Doing fine. How about y'all? Doing pretty good, Jacob. Yeah, doing you? doing excellent. Glenn, was super excited to talk with you, especially uh, after this past week's episode that we just released uh, this past Sunday, or actually this Monday. Yeah. Um, was all about how to break down new properties. And I think this podcast with you, this episode with you, kind of diving into hunting public land and, and really targeting bucks on public land and having really high success rates is going to be kind of an additive and really kind of step up the game for people scouting for this fall and getting ready for this fall. So really excited to talk with you this week about that and really love uh, for this conversation to kind of dive deep on everything you do on public land, especially how you are locating these bucks. But before we do that, Andrew, I think we'll kind of start off like we did last time. Yeah, kind of do, ask do a, little a little bit more about introduction. Them. So, uh, Glenn had one heck of a year last year deer hunting. Uh, so, Glenn, why don't you walk us through your season and kind of some of the success that you had, and then later on we might dive into some of those specific hunts. Uh, well, I reckon the uh, the first man of the area I had some success on was uh, uh, Alligator Creek WMA. Uh, I found a little nook. It was a it's a hammer WMA, it's a couple years old. Uh, opened the whole entire season, so there was a lot of people come from come from all over state, out of state, and just camped on it and hammered them, hammered them. But uh, I found a, a little tiny nook. Everybody riding right by. Uh, in fact, I can see some way back port lights on private land. They're about it. But anyway, it's a it's a short walk, but a real thick walk, and. Uh, and uh, I sent a pile of bucks out in there to January before, uh, after season went out, and, and uh, figured out where some deer was building in a little tie tie bay right there, and, and, a, and a good buck or two right there. And uh, I just notated that and come back to black powder season over the early, uh, early doing heat, and uh, and uh, I let them go by. Usually meat hunt a lot. Uh, we like to live off land much as we can, but. Uh, freezer was doing pretty good, so I let them walk, and uh, and I uh, had this book pop out on their trail, and uh, pretty nice book, and I uh, got him, and uh, just pretty much uh, 
one of the routines I do, I'll scout right after the season goes out and mark the spot because the first time in is the best time. There ain't no residual scent. I don't go in hang stands before the day before the hunt. My About every hunt I do, every day, every morning set, every evening set, midday set, my karma comes in, it comes out. And uh, and I like to go in, you know, the first time the best time. And, uh, and uh, that allowed me to get him and then... Uh, Another hunt, I went back in turkey season and found where a buck had bed in the lap of hall they'd been made and uh, found where he's bedding in a little little, uh, little flat pond swamp, a little tiny, about an acre big in the middle of some head high gallberries. So I went ahead in there and trimmed me just a few gallberries, got the most, dist- the most distant tree I could get to look into that little flat pond where he's bedding. I had to get up about 40 foot to look in there because of how high the gallberries was and Mm-hmm. And I uh, got in there real early to make a little noise getting in there. Got about two hours before daylight. I learned a long time ago if you're hunting there, bedding there, the biggest thing you can do, or even uh, feeding there is uh, like open hardwood flats and bow season, deer bed on the acorn tree. Just say, but I learned a long time ago. Old timer told me one time he I, he killed a lot of bucks on a on a manager. It was clear cut and uh, had a lot of thick strips left, hundred yard wide, a quarter mile wide. He, He's I start about three or four o'clock in the morning, put the climber on my back, and I just walk down them strands of cover that's left. When I jump a deer, I climb right there. He said, they'll come back. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. He said, well, if it don't come back, you know, it's a rut. You got every buck around there is going to know where every bedding area. They're going to connect the dots. The buck could show up anytime, anyhow. He's going to he gonna connect the dots on all the bedding feeding areas where those go. Okay, mm-hmm. makes sense. Anyway, I started doing that, and. And uh, I go in them bed close to bedding areas, and I'll use a stylus green pen line. I just keep it to the ground. Many, if I go in, it, I, I don't know why. I just bought another buy from probably 1980 something, and uh, I've been doing it ever since. But uh, I'll uh, I'll start about two hours before daylight, sometimes earlier, and uh, just take my time, put my climber on back. Remember, it's first time in, first you know, first time in the best time, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and I just I go ahead and get on in there. Sometimes I I can hear the deer shuffle around, but most times they don't blow or take off or nothing. And I mean, you talk to coon hunters a lot; they see deer all the time, shine at them, look at them, walk right by them, bedded down, don't jump. But if you get, I don't know why. What I'm getting at is uh, by saying all this, if you jump, if you go in there 30 minutes for daylight, it's still just as black dark as it is two hours for daylight. Them deer blow, run off, and you, you probably won't even see no deer. If any, it might be about midday, they'll, they'll come back. But anyway, I got early in this spot for that deer. He, I heard him come in there. He laid down and uh, pretty close. And I thought he might have snuck out. He finally stood up about 1030, and I got that uh, got that eight point. And uh, let's see where they go next. I went to uh, another area. I actually found this one in season. Uh, black powder hunt and I went over there uh, one evening this one close to the house over at Horse Creek WMA and I went mainly to check an area that has a has a little hidden canal that runs through the biggest tie bay on the entire manager area you gotta, you gotta know where the rabbit hole to get in there then you can see four or five hundred yards about knee to waist high if you keep it trim and, uh, and the little mounds from back when they did it probably back in the 30s or 40s, whenever they dug all that out many moons ago, I found where uh, a buck had bedded down on the side of it and a lot of fresh rubs. And so I backtracked his trail to the, I know I couldn't kill him in there with the thermals is, so I cut 
come back out to the pines and there was some thin pines and he was popping out in a little flat pond, about a half acre, little half acre swamp flat pond. He was had a staging area right there. I could see where he had a bunch of rub, ground toe up straight. I said, yeah, that's his staging area. Either where he's he going to rub going back in or where he comes and waits on black door to come out in the pine. So I got as close as that spot, marked that tree. And uh, fast forward, you know, a month later, uh, I killed that deer Lapaha, and I had a doe the day before there, so I had my two bonus deer and had my tags filled. So I just left camp. My friend, the camper and all, just did a Hail Mary, you know, about a little less than an hour drive from where I was camping on that hunt to that manager's area. And about 10 minutes after daylight, he come right there and stopped, and I killed him right there at the, where he stayed up to go back in his little rabbit hole for the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was a third uh, nice eight-pointer kill, a <laughs> second eight-pointer. First one, first one was an 11-point. So, I'm, you know, I got two uh, two bonus deer and a tag deer. So I'm still good. Three three nice mature bucks, one state tag left. And and uh, went to Chickasaw Hatchie, and, and uh, I actually found this buck bedding area. I had to move to a new area. There was a lot of pressure in my old area, general area, and I went and found a spot that had lesser deer, but I know I found where one big buck was really wearing it out and kind of half figured out his scrape line and where he cut into a old logging deck. And I was kind of pretty sure that where he laid up for the day. I spotted a distant tree to be downwind of there. I had to get up about 40 foot to see in there. Five minutes after daylight, I passed his last scrape right, and I killed him. He run right in the logging deck and fell right by his bed in there. And uh, got another, another nice one. I'm trying to remember the other now. Still five <laughs> nice sure bucks, three and a half to five and a half. Now, that, now that's a heck of a year when you're having trouble remembering all the bucks you killed. I hunt about the whole season. I ain't I might miss one or two days from October to to mid January. Uh, I don't miss too much. Go to church on Sunday, and I'm pretty much hunting or pre scouting for a hunt. Uh, you know, a lot of places I've I've been chasing these WMAs for 35 years. I've hunted over over 40 something of these things over the years and killed deer on most of them. I pretty well know where I'm going. I just mainly go to look, see the people sign intrusion, see how deep they're going. And uh, I use a lot of hunter access trails sometimes. we got a lot of trails in the WA. You can go a couple miles deep, mile deep, two miles deep. And uh, plus you can branch off them in the woods. It's, some people do make the walk. They don't go make the walk and go in the woods. So kind of got to see where everybody else is and know where I need to be. Kind of scouting yeah, that that's all, all go back to process elimination, you know. Uh, I try to get them. I hunt the perimeter where I think they're bedding first and about a second inning or the last morning. I, I usually go for the gold and go dive right on in and do or die. Yeah. And a yeah. lot of times there's a good security area. There'll be a there'll be another buck. Uh, there's several, you know, over the years I've killed two and three deer. Uh, I have the same bachelor group. They'll use the same. Uh, when the heat gets on there, you use the same security area. You know, our hot weather down here most of the time, you know, wherever they bed in the start of season, if you got a good security area, they're going to be bedding there later too. Yeah. Yeah, hey, Glenn, so, you know, just to kind of uh, lay some more groundwork for all this, uh, for everyone listening right now, so Glenn lives in Georgia. Georgia, you're allowed to kill, is it two bucks or three bucks in the state of Georgia, just like the state tags? Yeah. Yeah, that's two bucks. One's got to have at least four points or more on one side of the two, and we're allowed ten does. And then we, uh, all the managed areas, we uh, 
if it's a check-in hunt in the in the regulation it says check-in, that means you can kill two two deer. If it's on a if it's on a quality buck uh, regulation WMA is a check-in on a, one of those two can be a buck. The other one's gonna have to be a uh, be a doe. Okay. And uh, and so you're so, allowed uh, to get bonus deer through that, which is how you're able to kill five bucks in a year, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you kill. You depends how much you hunt. You can kill, kill what you want. Pretty much, you can kill many you want. As long as you stay on the check-in sign in. If it says sign in hunts, you have to use your, use your state tags. Yeah, and, yeah. Georgia has some really tremendous opportunities, and uh, I, I really enjoyed hunting it last year. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So hey, Glenn, uh, let, let's kind of dive a little bit deeper in all this, okay? Because, you know, you talked about, you know, you killed five good bucks this past season, you know, all between three and a half, and I think you said like five years old, give or take. Now, when it comes to this, I know you've been hunting these areas for a long time. You're talking about hunting these public parcels, these management areas, these walking areas, all these different places, you know, for almost 35 years. First off, you know, what – when you're looking at a piece of public land, and I know you probably know a lot of these places like the back of your hand, but there's got to be times when they're either logging or they're doing something, the state is, that changes, you know, changes the game a little bit, or maybe just hunting pressure where these deer might move just a little bit in their different areas. What are you looking for, say, like either this time of the year or during season, like when you're doing in-season scouting while, you know, trying to hike to a spot – you know, what are you looking for for that time of the year that tells you, like, hey, there's a big deer that lives here? Uh, of course, find this sign, and uh, I just find the – I just basically draw right to the thickest, nastiest areas on the WMA and the one with the deepest walks, and and that's where they'll typically, uh, uh, typically be at. I mean, you got to – you know, I shrink down at WMA. Uh, I take that GPS, and I can, you know, I can shrink down 100 acres in a day, even on a new manager area. I mean, yeah, I just ride her. You all got to do this ride around the roads. I mean, all the, I eliminate mean, all the pretty spots. You see the road, you know, other people be attracted to. You see one side of a manager got cornfield or a, a reputable hunting club by there. Everybody's going to be flocking over there. You got pretty hardwood flats on ridge. Everybody's going to be there. I don't even really much worry about food on the, on the, uh, most of the farms. You know, most of them going to be crowded. Yeah. And, uh, that, well, that's one thing I was going to ask you about too. Is I just it sounds down. like well, it sounds like you're not messing with white oak bottoms or anything like that at all. You're kind of just gravitating towards bedding rather than food, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I I just I eliminate where I know where everybody else is going to be. Like all them places I mentioned, fire lines, gas line, anything pretty. All the hunter access trails. It's all the short ones. I'm not even interested unless there are, you know, we got a lot of walk-in trails. You got to park and walk-in only, foot travel only, and we got we got a lot of managers that's got some, you know, half to half to a mile and a half, two mile long. Some uh, there's a couple I know three miles long, and I'm gonna walk to the end of them thing. And uh, if I see hunter sign, and I'm I'm looking for something that's gonna pay off for years to come. I'm just not looking for a spot of a hunt. If I see old ribbons from two or three years ago, old ribbons, old rusty glow tack tree that man kind. I don't even I don't even mess with it, but somebody's gonna pop up saying like I want to find something ain't nobody in it. Yeah. And uh, uh, recent years, uh, recent years I've been I've been trying to stay uh, find places uh, that ain't got no trees to climb, thick areas with no climbable trees. I'm starting to see a lot of big bucks in these areas, and I'm starting to do a lot of a lot of ground hunting. Some of these deer I killed, I could have killed on the ground actually. Oh wow! And okay. But it was and. Uh, yeah, and uh, I'm starting to see that a lot, and because I, uh, I know they gravitate, uh, I think they some of these deer put 
put tall trees and danger together. I used to hunt big flats and down on the coastal WMAs where they log and they grow up in tall grasses and they'll be single single palm trees. We are that's kinda of scary to climb because they hollow creek and way in the ram, but you get up about thirty foot up there and them them deer they're always if there's one or two tall trees out in the middle of one, you can bank on a buck bed. They orient them trees uh, a lot of times. If they can do that, they can probably realize a long timber line, tall timber line will stay the heck away from. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so, that's de- that's definitely something that we I want to talk about. I also bit. find uh, another plus water is a lot of key because uh, he's gonna. I, I look the nasty swamps and the water. I'm gonna find. Uh, Look at on the manor there. There's there's tussocks around the trees, sizable or island. I'm gonna wait out there if I ain't over waist deep. Yeah. And uh, and jump. You know, I jump a buck. If I think I'd do too much, too much damage. I'll wait the next year to hunt him. But mm-hmm. and I also walk around all them bogs and bays. See if trails are coming in and out, or if they crossing them, and and uh, they'll, they'll go to water. And when they bed, they're gonna bed. Uh, they're gonna bed with more water or thick, nasty stuff to the back. So. Once you find where they bed, once you find where they bed, most the easy way to get there to hunt it is 99% of the time the way they went in the bed. And that's where most people mess up. They, oh, look at this deer truck going out there. Ain't nowhere to get in with right here. So they just walking on the same. You got to find him and you got to find a back door. You got to find a distant tree. You got to make a tree. You know, cut a lot of limbs. Uh, I have had friends in the past a couple of times throw to, to a temporary light pole out there, you know, and put in the ground for a hoe digger to have something to put up. I have, <laughs> Yeah, I took a come along. I took a come along and scraps and put three trees together. They wrapped them together, and made one tree from a climber to go around. I've uh, <laughs> that, limb locks if I have to. That's hardcore. I took ladder stands. I took ladder stands and got up twenty. I made ladder stands and you know got them up ten or fifteen foot where I could put my climber on there and go up some more. <laughs> and whatever you got to do to make a tree, you might sometimes just have to hunt on the ground. And some areas just got to give up. You just have to back up. You got to find out where his direct trail is and trace it back to, a, you know, it ain't too, usually not far when I've been there. You're going to find a juncture. You're going to find a junction where he's coming from two or three directions. So, and a lot of times that'll be somewhere you can at least put a ground line if it's too thick to look into his bedding area and I'll try to get there. But when I'm marking all these spots, especially find them after season, after hunt, you got you to gotta do that compass and see which way that wind is, north, northwest, whatever. That's, that's our normal wind flow. You know, during the winter down here, so I'll so I'll, I'll go ahead and have everything prepped. You know, and this thick cover, the GPS is fine. That's you know, of course, that's straight as air, but you got to trim just a little bit and maybe glow tack here or there. But don't bring it all the way back out to somewhere open GPS that spot, and then you crawl in your little rat hole, and then and then, uh, then you can open up in your trail and 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 take off and get in there. Nope. My, my biggest thing is I would say the best thing is you know scout right after hunt, scout after season. Find walk, go right where find right where the digger lay and back off. Put your stand, figure where you're gonna climb, and uh, have your trail to get in there without using his trail and get in the tree super early, and you can stay consistent all day long. Now, hey, Glenn, that right there is called making your own luck. Yes. No. <laughs> hey, okay, so so with all this being said, Glenn, and everything you're saying has got us absolutely fired up. And I know there's probably listeners right now freaking out because they're like, "Why have we never heard of this guy before?" Oh, yeah. Um So. Glenn, when it comes to this, I've, I've got a question for you. You know, when you're hunting these super thick areas, uh, how often are some of these areas more so, 
you know, just shorter, nastier ponds. And I'll give you – give uh, the reason why I say that is some of the public land in Alabama we hunt, you know, majority of everything's pine. Uh, I know some of that in Georgia is the same way. I've scouted some public land in Georgia, and it seems like that's the case. You know, down your SMZs, down the uh, creeks and draws, you know, you'll have hardwoods, but everything else is pine. Do you ever find consistently bigger deer in some of these shorter, nastier pines that – Sometimes won't even have all that much ground cover, but they're just so nasty and choked out. Oh, it's man, hard to hunt. One, of the, one of the best places I got two or three men here now that I'm fitting to start hunting on a bar stool, actually. <laughs> best spot. Then the, yeah, I'm going to carry a look. The, a, a ground chair is too low. A ladder stand is too tall and, and too and too big for the little pine. Yeah. So I'm going to get a, a like a bull. So, uh, Oh, there's a lot of broom straw, and a lot of people don't realize a lot of these big uh, little pine plantations, young plantations. I got one here. You walk all the way around the perimeter. It's the thickest, nastiest jungle. Man, they must have planted by an airplane. But once you get out in the middle, there's natural, natural openings everywhere, and trails, and rubs, and beds, and and uh, I walk them pines. I mark every trail. I mark I mark places along trails where the most rubs is, and also where there's a trail. Now, I'm usually going to be sitting on a trail junction because he's going to he's going to connect the dots. And one of the better trails is the ones that's just inside the pines. If it's parallel and parallel and a access trail that people walk, or a power line or a road, we've killed a lot of a lot of bucks. Me and uh, some of my buddies, uh, because these bucks when they're connect looking for does, you probably seen them do it on the, uh, on on regular roads. They come out, step on a road, and they just come down a road sitting. You know, scent checking every trail that crosses the road. They run up the next trail, scent check the next and run up. Yeah, kind of cutting just across them. Kind of cutting across yeah, the parallel. Yeah, that's side to cover. And we had a, you know, we had a thing. My friend always laughed at me all the time. Said, "Me, we all will stagger hunt. I mean, buddy system is great if you got two friends, and you you can't go wrong. You can about do this blind anywhere. You got a power line and gas line, a uh, uh, opening. Uh, you know." Uh, opening towards you know even from there across the clear cut to some more land deer normally cross uh a lot to or from even if it's night sign if you'll pair if you hunt those parallel trails uh, alongside those uh paths you can kill some big bucks what we'll usually do want us to go in want us to go in 50 yards and then to go down a, a couple hundred and go in about a hundred yards so that way if that deer skirting the edge if he win wins one of us he's gonna swing out and, and hit the other one yeah and my buddy my buddy used to get mad at me all the time because i had it oh you're hunting with a 270 short maggot very loud very loud on a cold morning he'd hear that he had good hearing we'd be hunting close i mean we could just see pieces of each other on but we'd be hunting thick too you know and he, he'd hear the deer coming here and he'd go ahead and put his finger in his ears boom now uh, with, with a lot of these bucks that you've killed lately, um, when do you see them moving? Cause I mean, from what the, what it sounds like you are hardcore hunting the beds, you're hunting like bedding areas, you're getting real aggressive and pushing up there with them. Are you seeing all day movement? Are you seeing movement early in the mornings? Um, w- which that second I buck that say- you were talking about killing that second buck you mentioned, uh, when, when we started, that thing was in its bed, I think you said, and it stood up at like ten thirty, and you killed it. Uh, can you just kind of walk us through mm-hmm. what you've seen, like kind of their activity is in a bedding area? Well, most of the time it's going to be the, I mean, like the first first fifteen minutes of legal light, and then uh, usually around uh, 
8.30. For some reason, I always kept track of time that I killed deer in the mornings, whether it be bucks, does, or, or whatever. And I would say in the morning time frame, probably 80% of my deer is between uh, 8.15 and 8.45. That's always been a sweet spot. I think what it is, that's usually about the time around this area in our part of Georgia, the sun gets top of the trees, and that's their trigger to get to their get to their daytime bedding areas. A lot of times people don't realize, especially in the manager area, you see a deer, you kill a deer between 8 and 9, he's moving along, browsing something. That deer that ain't really up moving the feet, he's actually browsing back. He's actually got up from his nighttime bedding area. So it takes some four to six hours to chew the cud on a full stomach. And most time these deer are going to be bent around, you know, three yeah. or four o'clock. He had, he had hunting pressure in the rut and other variables, of course. You know, a lot of times it's on the shorter time frame, man. But them deer are actually going to lay down and they're in their daytime. They shift into their daytime bedding areas, actually. A lot of those deer you see around the 830, give or take time. And then the next best time, if they better them for daylight, you know, adding that hour time, every minute you ain't seen nothing, that's a minute closer. You got to remember that. You know, about 11, I've killed a ton of deer. I'd say around 8, say 830 the main time. My next best time is around a 1130, I would say, give or take a few minutes. So that's usually when they, they up, they're going to stand up and stretch and use the bathroom and browse. They might be in there. I read they got to be on top of the bed in there. A lot of them won't come out to the main food source, uh, but they'll, they'll be bedding, you know, and, and uh, browsing on whatever's around their bedding area. And they'll mill around. They'll get up five or six times, mill around a lot of times in those bedding areas. But you got to get high. And you mentioned the pine. I love them pine. Ain't, uh, I love a view 30, 40 foot up a pine. And you can see all, you see rabbits and head high gallberry bushes, you know, when you're up that high. Yeah. And, uh, and they feel safe. That deer's got, he got, he got weeds and stuff top of his back. He, he, he pretty well thinks he's hid. And uh, you mentioned like grasses and weed fields. I don't, I hunted some weed fields on a couple and the, all they got is a lot of lollipine here there, and he pretty much got to hang a, a ladder stand up there, uh, drag a ladder stand out there and leave it in the bushes, you know, abandon it kind of, you know what I mean, and then hunt it. <laughs> it yeah. comes easy. But they are, there are a lot of deer orienting them weed fields. As long, if it's chest high, head high, uh, a lot of somebody married there that got nice big farms and they let them grow up and boy, them deer or everywhere, everywhere. I remember them bothered this time when they'd go cut with the tractor. They just, I'm coming out of the thicker woods, seen a handful of deer. I've always seen about 30 there on the hill. And, and I said, well, dang, that's completely reversed. The deers ain't in the going in the swamps and the thicker pine left. They're laying on the hill. They come hunting them backwards. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I love the small, there's always going to be deer in small pine and, and, and wheat fields and and such and uh like, like i said that's what we hunt down here mostly pines and and with managers areas i really i basically stay out of swamp you know when i'm talking about hunting swamps i'm hunting the nastiest bog bay whatever they got in the whole thing you know yeah but i'm I'm primarily around pines or in pines the huge majority of the time now with the daytime beds you mentioned daytime beds and there's this idea in the whitetail hunting world that you know a buck specifically will go out and he'll usually put something to his back with the wind coming over his back. Like he might bet up against a log, and he's got the wind coming over his back, and he can see what's in front of him. And uh, so you yeah. can kind of use that strategy to more or less predict where exactly they might be laying. Have you seen any truth to that? Do you think that they're using the wind to their advantage and, and things like that? 
Oh yeah, they're gonna bend. When they bend, they're gonna have a, a wind or a, a good sharp angling wind blowing in their face when they bend. And, and uh, behind them's gonna be something. Most of the time, you know, they could be something thick and looking out of a big opening. I, I've killed bucks that, you know, I had to wait for them to get up out of their bed because they're too close to a road. Even kill them before, and uh, I'd be fifty yards off a road to shoot one. You know, legal wise. Yeah. And uh, they'll they'll bed. I killed one at BF Grant one time. He was bed. You walk down a long access road, probably three quarters of a mile. In fact, the editor Brad Gill, I went up to BF Grant and every hunter there. He told me a long answer road to get deep, and uh, my buddy went up and we, and it curves off and we and he just went straight up on the ridge and and seen two big bucks, and that just, both them bucks was bedded behind a log, looking down the whole valley at the access trail, watching everybody come in and out for three hundred yards worth of walking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so we uh, had GPS where it went around the curves, so we'll be walking down that road and. I projected the waypoint. I could guesstimate how far I was up on that ridge, and there's kind of a canyon you got to go around. So I just projected the waypoint. We walked, we walked about a half a mile just to hunt. Uh, you know, we walked over a half a mile just to hunt less than a quarter mile from the road to circle around. I got by that log about three minutes after daylight. He come over and I killed him right behind the log. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, but uh, they like to be behind. They're gonna have something where they can hear danger coming. Hear danger. Or see it clearly, or something, and that, and but you, and you're going to try to figure out a way to, you know, peek in that back door. You got to figure a window. You know, I've, I've carried limbs all retractable and get. A lot of times, you you got you ain't got a shot. You tree, you make you finally get a tree, but there's foliage angling, you know, and your bullet path going diagonally down to where the deer is at, and you have to try to, you know, cut some of them limbs. Out. You got to do all this stuff and. You know, in January, February, do that where you turkey hunting at the latest. Cause he got months to get over it. But don't go there and mess around, rearrange his bedroom. Now I've seen them. I've seen them lead the country people go there and trim too much right around them. Yeah. And uh, never come back. But now, anyway, big, uh, biggest uh, thing walking a lot of miles. <laughs> yeah. Now a lot of people. This isn't quite as big of a subject in the South, but I'm still curious to know your thoughts on it. Uh, you'll hear a lot of guys talk about the quote-unquote October lull where, uh, like, uh, deer activity just kind of seems to slow down a little bit. Do you have any thoughts on that? Are you seeing a difference in deer activity while you're hunting these, you know, more remote bedding areas? Yeah, sometimes we'll have them. If you see a, you'll see on a lot of man's areas, you'll see a lot of chasing going on. And, uh, well, not so much breeding, but a lot of chasing and, and uh, cruising bucks and, deer and just have a lot of action and then it'll die but what, what has happened is uh, a lot of them bigger bucks is, is connected with the does and they're going to go find them a little place somewhere and hang out for two or three days or a few days or whatever and they just kind of hide and slow down I've seen it I've seen it slow down and, uh, but that's when I'll, I'll get even thicker you know and get in the thicker areas or just change manager areas if it gets, if it gets too bad I'll just go to another one but but uh, they usually I'll stay on the chicken hunts. I'll ride them out while I get my two free deer, and uh, or at least one, you know, depending on what the freezer look like. We, that's, that's about all we eat. We don't buy too much grocery store meat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> now, hey, Glenn. So 
you know, you talked about earlier when we were talking about beds and everything, talking about these shorter pines, you know, hunting off the ground. How often are you adjusting your style of hunting to accommodate for what's happening with the bedding areas and what the bucks are doing? And when I, what I mean by that, you know, you talk quite a bit about hunting out of a climber, but how often are you changing gear? I mean, how often are you, you know, changing it up, you know, hunting off the ground, you know, trying to get that ladder stand out there so you can get higher up in a tree, whatever. How often are you doing that? to be able to stay where you need to stay to find these deer, but also as these deer possibly move with the hunting pressure, you know, how often are you changing what you're doing to kind of, you know, keep on these deer? Oh, I, I usually got enough stands. I, and I always like something new. I ran a probably like the WMAs. I, I very rarely sit the same stand twice on the, on the same hunt. I like to sit a different spot every morning and, and every evening if possible. And it's got to be a really hot spot. And like I said, I believe in first time the best time. And I got so many places I've scouted out. It's killing me not to, on a three-day hunt. I got I got six to ten places I want to look at, you know. And I got three mornings and three evenings. And, I, and my mind for a hunt start, I, I know where I'm going to be every morning, every evening. And I won't change that unless one spot uh, really hot. And, uh, and I also, ch- I will change up. I will change it if I'm getting glimpsing deer moving out of sight, hearing deer out of sight, and I, I don't, I won't wish them to come closer. I just get to go, I just get over there closer to what it was. Because one deer or two's coming by me, and I can't, and I figure it's a good buck or multiple deer come by, I'm, I'm hearing getting down, and uh, you know, unless there's some factors, I know they may circle back around, you know, uh, and uh, depending on that area, wherever area is different. But I'll get down and move to that spot and hunt it on the ground right there. I just leave the climber and, and get over there where they at and uh, go ground hunting right there. With one or two deer moving during the rut, go, if there's a hot doe coming by, you bet you bet your 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 bottom. I'm climbing down and get over there. Where I can see everything on her uh, trail. Yeah. And, I, and if I know she's hot, if I know she's hot, I'm gonna have to get real hungry to leave. So they gonna they gonna be coming throughout the day and midday. Oh man. Uh, you need to be mid-dome managers. Uh, probably 10 to 2 is one of the strongest, strongest times it is for for, for the trophy buck. And then when all them, uh, they hear all them trucks and trucks and stuff rattling back to camp and going down the road, crunching gravel, beating and ramming around, it gets quiet. It's like Pavlov's dog. They slobber and they ready to roll. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And uh, I see a lot of bugs. I had a friend of mine, a real good friend of mine. He uh, he's a very successful WMA hunter, and he and uh, because of his health, it's hard for him to do two hunts a day. So if he goes in, he stays. He's not coming down to two or three o'clock. It's 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 unreal the numbers of of quality bucks and and uh, he, that uh, he sees and takes and uh, and, yeah. I, and it's hard for me to sit at two or three o'clock. So what I do a lot of time, I'll sit at nine or nine thirty or ten and I'll come I'll run back to the truck and I always have a secondary spot. If I can't get quite to every tree I'm place I got planned to hunt, I got it somewhere nearby. Either a little deeper or off to the side or right before or off the side of the road. I got a backup. So I I run a truck, regroup myself and I run and jump a stand and stay at two or three o'clock. And uh, I have a lot of success doing that. 
Houndstooth Game Calls is your home for turkey calls this spring. Go check them out. They got all the classic turkey calls. You know, they got the pot calls and the box calls and the mouth calls. But they also got a couple really interesting calls. One of them is called the the success call. And you just need to go look it up. It's It's like a box call that you can work with one hand. It's really, really cool. Sounds incredible. They also got the Spur Master, which is another very unique call that you can get some really unique, clean tones out of. They're going to help you out this turkey season. Use the promo code SOP24 to get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls. That's SOP24. Use it at checkout. It helps the podcast. Yeah. Now, I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit here, but there's there's so much to talk about. Uh, at, at the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned stuff about walking down uh, like thickets and jumping a deer and setting up right there in the dark and sitting on that, kind of like a bump and dump kind of thing. Can you talk a little bit more about that and maybe some success that you've had with like spooking deer and then setting up right where you spooked them out of? That was from an old, another old timer. I'm always learning something. They spoke, always listen. And this is probably back in the 90s as well. And I've always wondered why, I've always heard about coon hunters going hunting. And that, man, we walk by deer all the time. Big old boat, just sit right there. We walk right by them, all went by them. And they ain't scared of us. And people, because always, people was always talking about the coon hunter run all the deer off. And so, man, them deer ain't scared of us at night. And I'm thinking, they ain't going to go in the stand early and bump deer and then, you know, that gummit. Or here, well, that gummit. It'd be dinner time when they come back out now. Mm-hmm. But if you'll go, I don't know when you when you hunting in them thickets where you you know you're going to bump there, and I hunter you know I mentioned Lake Eufaula and they got all kind of core property on both sides Alabama and Georgia a lot of core property you got the the federal refuge property you got the state WMA block just a a huge amount of land them there uh it's all bow hunting but them there a bed on them open acre flats and you can't. You can't do, I mean, they're not going to bed. There. They, there's not that much pressure, not that many people bowing over there. And so they'll bed right up under that hot tree, right where you need to climb. And I couldn't do nothing, couldn't do nothing, going there and bump them early in the morning, 30 minutes before daylight, 45 minutes before daylight. You know, might get one every night, and they might cruise back in about 11 o'clock. But anytime you got a real hot tree, you know, food chores, they're going to be there at midday. You can bank on it. A real quick add-in, if you're hunting crab apple persimmons and you're getting busted by the eating thermal, Hunt them 11 or 2, you'll kill more there in the morning and the evening and put it together. But anyway, get back to the subject. I said, well, one day my buddy didn't show up. We was going to a more distant place. I said, dang, I wound up in a tree at about three hours before daylight. And I bumped deer. I hear him walk around. I use that style of screen light. And you can walk on a turkey with it and don't spook them on the roof. A little pin light, and I just keep my feet. And I just, I heard them get up, move them, shuffle around. Come daylight, those here all are better around, about right where I heard them move off to. They just moved 20, 30 yards. Let me put my climber on the tree and scoot up and everything. And uh, and I started doing that, uh, you know, in the feed areas, and I transitioned over to the to the bedding areas. And a lot of times that deer hear that noise, and I think he'll just take off, be safe, and uh, he really don't know what it is. He might not even never smelled you, but uh, for, for some reason unexplained, if you – Deer do not, you can take this to the bank, deer do not spook. Two hours before daylight and earlier, deer do not spook at dark. Nowhere near they do an hour or a few minutes before daylight or right before dawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't, I don't know why, but I get in them areas, and them bedding areas, I get them super early. I got a, I got a friend that used to, uh, that same friend I mentioned, he killed a lot of 140 and 150, killed them up to one, 169 class books in Tiff County. He never advertised none of them. He killed a lot of them. 
he got in the trees at twelve thirty in the morning. Oh wow! And I got a lot of thoughts from him. Them deer will he that way he knows the deer's long gone. He's out in the field. There's a lot of branches. It's like threading through agricultural fields. A lot of might be a hundred yard wide, might be a quarter mile. But he'll find where the buck's bedding through scouting the prior year, and then he'll he'll go in there when he's clambering all climb up to it early night. And I think it lets you scent. You know, your scent dissipates down too. Your scent ain't as hot on the ground, that deer. And if he does smell it, you know, I think a lot of times he, like them deer smelling you even two hours for daylight, he's thinking that you are as a strong, less, and I'm just putting this in my mind, but I'm thinking, well, that deer's thinking I'm further away than I actually am. And yeah. I'm not in a harmful way or distance away from him, or I, or I walk there through their hours earlier and I'm long gone. I've seen deer smell people that walk through 30 minute fire from a tree, freak out, and then I've seen them smell where others walk, you know, earlier that day or mine that morning, you know, and uh, not pay it no mind. I mean, it's burn off. You know, the hotter the scent, the less worried yeah. they're going to be. Well, that's like and if you've ever chased a rabbit. Well, go ahead. Yeah, I just get her super early. And if you, you bust one on your entry trail, uh, it's not so much a big buck, but if somebody's bow hunting with those and if, uh, if you have a lead doe bust you and on a real hot scent and she uh i killed several deer around the lake doing that and they'll usually all run all directions and lead doe will usually blow a lot and if you'll blow back at her oh yeah know, she'll blow, oh, and she'll, you know, i just keep blowing back and forth and some of the other scattered deer keep confusing they'll come over there with me with my tree and blow back at her <laughs> yeah yeah i've killed deer doing that before yeah i've yeah. killed a couple like that also, Glenn, uh, a topic you just talked about that I really, really want to hit on since you're hunting in the bedding areas is scent, okay? What is your thought on scent control? What's your thought on scent products? And what do you do from keeping yourself from getting busted by these deer when you're in the bedding areas? I mean, are you just pretty much playing the wind or using anything else? You can kind of just give us that rundown of your thoughts on all that. I kind of go against the grain. I reckon what I say, this little talk here would say what I, what I do to be successful instead of what, what everybody else needs to do, but it may work for them as well, but actually, I used to be a scent purist, and I worried about everything. Change that clothes in the bags, and change it at the tree, screw the rubber boot. It got so much of a job, it, it got to be a hassle. It was taking the fun out of it. Yep. You know, I relaxed a lot of majority of that stuff. I I get just as close as deer, see as many deer. And, uh, but the only things I do, do I use, uh, I use Hunter Green, that Hunter Specialty Green Shampoo. I love it. I use it year round, and that 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 stuff is not oily grease. I don't know if you ever used it or not, but man, it lathers up good in your hair and body. I mean, you can get in. I just use it because you can get in out of the shower quick with it. I love. It. I use it year round. It continues to kill bacteria through the day. I mean, you find it at your regular Walmart, hundred special that green shampoo, and I keep a pair and I, I keep rubber boots. Try to keep them clean, and I I wash my clothes and uh, sports wash or. Sometimes baking soda, but most of the time, I, uh, lately, the last few years, I've been using all uh, all detergent, just any old store, you know, Walmart or wherever, and it's got no uh, no UV brighteners, no fresheners, no additives. It's supposed to be just, it's made for people. Uh, for people with allergies. Yeah, but I, I've been using that all with, with great success. It don't feed you camo bad and all. But through our wind, I used to, you know, with the puff bottles and all, and it changes so much. We got a lot of flatwood. We're not hunting a lot of steep land. Most of the, you know, I hunt about 30 something though, and there's not really that much high land making a difference. You hunt around a lake, hand and hatchet and stuff like that. There'd be 
there'd be some hills, you know, in the evenings you in the evening you stay low, in the mornings you stay up higher, you know, but a trail type deal, by the way the thermal. But but in the mornings everything's pretty much lifting. And I climb and the other thing is I climb high. So I'm thinking a lot of you get up high, that scent's gonna go go across the ways for it to settle down, be going over your deer even to wind wrong. And it changed and I you can say with a puff bottle and about every place you climb down here on most of these managers, that wind every thirty, forty five miles hour, you check it going a different direction. I want I really don't even worry about it unless it's a this is I, I know a Zach bedding area, and I'm walking across like a more open area, and I know it it's just barreling in there on him, a, you know, strong wind with the front coming in or something like that. But normal, normal, you know, winter mornings, you know, calm, slight breathing. I just get in there super early, try not to touch no more, stay off the deer's entry trails. I kind of know where they go in and out bedding. You can't, you don't want to walk on theirs. A lot of people do that. Look at this deer trail going in here. Don't walk down there. Man, you just left the calling card. <laughs> you gotta you gotta stay away from here. You gotta kill him. You gotta come in off the back porch to kill him. I got well, I don't I just killed this many deer. I don't if, you know, I'm a firm believer that deer is gonna smell you. There's nothing you can do. Uh, you ain't gonna convince me. I've seen I've got friends use all them charcoal suits and this and that. And I, I think you always gonna get smell. You might make your scent weaker. He might think you further away, pass through their hours earlier, you know, but if you're getting a tree early Keep your boots clean, try don't touch nothing. I wash my clothes good, wash myself good with that hundred grain shampoo and I ain't tell no difference. And I used to do every scent ritual you know, that was known to man. And I quit with scents totally because I had I had I have had mixed too much mixed results with all scents. I don't use no scents, no more, no kind. It had work like gold, you think they're working and then one of that biggest bucks come around and it, it messes you up. And plus, they, when they get that whip, they're going to key in on everything. They're going to smell everything. And, you know, they're trying to, they're going to pick up every little hint of whip in. Their, their old factory sense is going to go in overdrive. They, you know, they smell a hot dough. So they, they're going to pick everything in that area apart. Well, that was fantastic. Now, you know, because there's a lot of guys out there that have the same kind of thought process as you do with the scent. I mean, you're very similar to us. You know, sometimes. You know, I think one thing we'll try this year is actually using some like that same like all. Uh, there's a couple different brands that makes that uh, non um, UV. It's like it's for uh, sensitive skin. Yeah, but anyways, that, I'm gonna try to start using it this year because in the past I didn't even worry about that all that much. And uh, me and Andrew again, we just play the wind, use milkweed uh, as kind of like our uh, wind detection. But we don't hunt nearly as high as you because we're hunting out of saddles, which is kind of curious because I always heard growing up, you know, you can always beat a deer's nose if you get 40 feet up, if you got a good, th- especially if you got a good thermal too. But uh, that, that's pretty interesting. Now, one thing I want to touch on with you, Glenn, is what is your th- well two part question? Okay, first off, what time of the year? or what time of the season, kind of month-wise, are you having a lot of success or more of your success? Do you kind of look back at the last, you know, 10 or 12, 15 years for bucks? And then also, what is your thought hunting, like that early season time frame, hunting these bedding areas when it's everything's green, it's thick, it's hot, you know, mosquitoes? You know, what are you doing during that time? And, again, have you ever killed any deer at that time of the year as well? Oh, yeah. Most of of the weather, I kill buck. We're sweating down here and – south georgia and you kill a big buck anytime in an hour circle of me right here the rut right here at me in the local wmas is about the first 10 days of november you can go just a few minutes uh a half circle around me and the main ruts in mid late october 
And you can go down there toward the coastal WMAs, an hour and a half away. And they had a hunt down there in September, and they chasing they they in rut down there in September, wide open. And wow. so I chase I chase the rut. I time frame everything. I make me a when when the reds come up here shortly, I'll make me a hunt calendar. I'll I'll notate all the check-in hunts and my favorite WMAs, of course. And I time frame everything and time frame the hunt because your coastal one's gonna be your early hunt, and I, I know the times of the rut. And so every every hunt that I got on that calendar weekly on them, I make me just make me some monthly calendars every week. And you know I'm I'm chasing the rut, and you know all the way to December. And I and I I usually always go to quota hunt like Chickasaw Hatchie and I hunt Hannah Hatchie as well. Them deer them deer rut out and uh, in December a lot. You know sometimes later. So I time to run, time to run, time to WMA hunt and check in hunts and. Always a different manager every week, and we camp it and have a good time. And and being hunting the manager, you know, your success rates are typically in the single digits to the 20 to 30 percentile range, which that's considered a great hunt. When you got you know hundreds of people out there, and you're one of the one of the you know 30, 40, 50 or less people that kill both of you, you get kind of a satisfaction. You know, I've been in clubs too. You know, you can't get that from you know killing a doe you got named you see all the time out there. You know. Yeah. When you go to WMA, you get just so much more thriller to chase. You got three days to do it. You hunting a pressured animal. You know, you ain't you ain't just sitting out there on uh, the, doing the sit and, you know, go to that same ladder stand, sit and stare at a food plot in the feeder day in, day out, day in, day out, or the same <laughs> stretch of power line day in, day out. I want to look at something. Like I said, I hunt every morning, every evening, and I hunt something different. I'm going in, you know, first time in is the best time, hands down, and, and uh, usually by finding the security areas, I'm looking for 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 deer, deer, not necessarily big. And I come across their sign, I'll hunt them, but I don't go out of my way. But most of the time, them best places, you're gonna see all the deer. You're gonna see your meat deer. You're gonna see your big bucks. Everything's gonna everything's gonna be right there. And you know, you got the ruts, you got the girls, boys gonna be around there checking on them. That buck gonna do connect the dots. All he's gonna do is run feeding and bedding areas all, all day or night, feeding and bedding areas. If you if you uh in them bed areas, them girls, if you bust every every doe out of that bed area, my my take off, I go in there and blow every deer out of there. There's gonna be a buck coming through. It might be a midday after the, everything settles down, scent dies off, dissipate. There's gonna be uh, bucks coming through, connecting dot, checking on that bed area. Now, so, hey, Glenn. Yeah. Well, Glenn, another thing you just talked about that I'm I'm really interested in is again how many management areas you hunt throughout the year. I mean, you you travel quite a bit throughout Georgia. Now, the question, what my question is for that. For somebody that does not have the database like you do with all these different spots on all these different uh, management areas, what is some advice you'd give to somebody, even like myself and Andrew? You know, I told Andrew this year I really want to focus on one or maybe two management areas in Alabama just to to really like dial down and really get a good idea where these bigger bucks are at, where he wants to kind of bounce around a little bit more. What advice would you give to somebody that maybe – Maybe they've hunted, you know, three or four different management areas, five or six, but they don't have the database you do on, like, hey, I know this area, this area, this area are super hot. You know, you got all these different locations from the years you've hunted out there. What advice would you give to somebody, whether they're going to the property for the first time or they're going to go scout a property for the first time, to find, you know, some of these spots, especially if they're not even in the state of Alabama or Georgia, you know, throughout the southeastern United States? I mean, one thing you can do at home first, every August, Georgia Outdoor News publishes the WMA hunt statistics. You know, look at the time frames that you got to hunt. Look at those percentage rates. When you see hunts, uh, when you see hunts like 15 to 30 something percent, say, 
them are your good hunt. A lot of people don't think 15% good, but it actually is because a, a, a lot of them people are not, not very good out there. And a lot of the people don't hunt every day at a three-day hunt. That 15% is over a three-day period, you know, per, per deer per person. So anything with a, you know, in the mid, upper teens, 20, 30s, pick those WMAs and also pay attention. It, uh, some of them, there's a few of them that typically every second or third year are better. You know, like you'll see one uh, or a couple in there be like 35%, and the next year it'll be 12%, and it'll be 10%, and then all of a sudden, boom, back up to 30%. Look at those cycles. When they plant, when they uh, print them in the August year, uh, they'll have the two years prior, so that gives you kind of a track record if one is, is cycling. And uh, that, that was what I did first. I get the GPS, learn how to, don't worry about all them extra features and all this, learn how to mark waypoints and go to waypoint and project waypoint because i go in blind a lot of times on a wma a lot of times i've had a lot of sniffs i look at an aerial map find a bad place with no roads around and i project all right i gotta go 1.11 miles i got my climber on it two over a day long get a head start i'm going in there and if i can't climb a tree i sit on the ground and i kill a lot of game on the first time and the best time but get in out but to get a gps Study what WMAs and, and uh, GON in there with high success rates on the times you can go. Get you a map of the WMA. You can go to out, go Outdoor Georgia app, and you can print off. They give you different things. You can find the old line maps. I like them better because I can write in what I want on the blanks, just black and white line. So I try to get one of them, and I get an aerial one and a terrain one maybe. And uh, But most of ours are flat in this area. But study uh, those maps and uh, the distance gauge on them and all. Like if you look at a block on the area and you see a place, it's, uh, you, you see where you are out on the road with that map. And, and you can take your GPS and the, the gauge on the map and say and tell how far it is and project the waypoint and you go check that area out. It's process elimination. Drive around and when you get to that property, uh, start shrinking it. Drive all the roads around the perimeter first. Delete everything out of your mind. All the pretty spots you see. Places you see where the hunters park. If you see an access road trail, look to see if it's a short one. If it's a short one, everybody's going to be on it. A lot of people walk a long way, but the long ones notate them. And uh, that's a good head start when they go check area. Find one that goes deep. And you can find something down a long access road. Because the, the few people that do walk the length of them, they don't go out in the woods. So you can always go out in the woods. But, uh, you know, when I do that, I'll hunt at least dinner. And sometimes there'll be people sitting there after dinner, you know, I'll come out at 12 or 1 or something where they're, dang, you were by there? Yeah, I was there a while ago. <laughs> Ahead of you. I don't want to mess them up, you know, so I get there early. Any power lines, you're going to have drama. Don't even think about it. A lot of rookie hunters, oh, man, there's a beautiful power line. I still a long way. There's a crop field down the landline right there in the woods. Man, a bunch of deer going right there probably. Well, they made all them pretty areas, all them right of ways. Uh, big campgrounds, parking areas, and you go down them trails, look for, you know, trees climb, old ribbon glow track trail. Like I said, I've gonna find something fresh. I'm looking for something that's gonna pay off in future hunt. So and, and I like to look for them spots trees ain't big enough to climb it, but they're growing. You can a lot of if you've been hunting, you know, you said you hunt pine, you, there's a lot of pines you know there's a few trees. Once you get there, you can find a tree one among them here or there to climb. See those areas. I tell a lot of people go to find your walker and access trail but you need to be at those early and keep them drama i'll be i've been hunting here 20 years i always hunt this spot but they probably go in there 50 yards 100 yards 200 yards and the the trail is for hunter access you know not them hunter access but everybody's access 
So, you know, that's their gamble. People walk by them on a, on a two mile trail, you know, that's for access to get to bigger, deeper expanses of wood. You know, if people's hunting along that trail a lot, just get iron dive off in the woods and, uh, you know, you can take that GPS and mark it when you leave there and then go out in the woods and find you something there. Well, we can circle back to that if you remember it, but the last question I really had for you, something that I'm very curious about is I just would like to know your go-to strategy where let's say it's the first week of bow season, acorns are just starting to drop and it's not rut yet. What What's kind of your go-to strategy for that type of hunt? I mean, it, let's say it's opening weekend. Uh, where, where are you going to go to kill, kill yourself a buck? Oh, I'm definitely going to try to find those early acorns. You want to get out here before season starts. They're going to, they're going to be on the murder acorns, scare your binoculars out there and try to find you some acorns. And then uh, our WMA is a great for bow hunting. It's, it's really not much pressure. You can hunt, I, I, you can hunt normal, put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> you can go back <laughs> under food sources. You know, I, I'll look for the, uh, I look for the early acorns. Sometimes we'll have some muscadines and stuff grapes growing a little late, but most of the time they're gone time to open. If you find a big crop of them, definitely check them. They grow late over there by you, Paula. You know, I, I got a spot over there. I've killed a lot of deer on it. It smells like a wine factory. There's so many over there on the ground. And you're popping them on your feet. I'm an old time walking through there. Awesome. But you can hunt the food sources both season. Uh, great. I'm not really, really that thick then. We really ain't got a whole lot of pressure uh, on our WMAs in both season because I, I reckon it can be in South Georgia and, you know, Middle Georgia and down. It, it's hot. <laughs> yeah. people, you got to love it. And, uh, and uh, I just stay on the food, and you'll see a lot of you'll see a lot of nice books on these acorns. They be in the bachelor groups too. You you can see several books, several books. It's a great great time to bow hunt. I love it. I love the hot weather. You know, if it was too hot to hunt, it ain't never too hot. Them deer, them deer live in that hot weather. They're used to it. And and let me throw this in now. Bow season. If you got a hot food store, biggest thing is sense. Cause most time a, a lot of times the deer's gonna come. You know, come from a branch or a, or a lowland, you know, even though it's flat woods that were most of that little bit of lower land, that's where your scent's going to draft down with the thermals every evening. If you get busted once or twice and you know it's a hot food source, you see the, you see the deer sign, all the deer peels on it where they, where they've been camping on, even the beds when they lay down at night under it and stuff, come back. If it's a hot tree, they going to be, be back there for 11 o'clock anyway. I've killed a slew of deer between 11 and 2. I, I, in fact, I have I have killed more deer, I'd say between 10:30 and 2:30, on uh, salmons and crab apples in in that time frame. I have mornings and evenings put together. And then the acorns is great, but a lot of times, you know, they, I, I'll I'll stay on acorns though, though at least dinner. You know, you do bump. You know, if you get on normal times, you don't always go in two hours of daylight. That gets Gets to the point where the deer's hardcore bedding on them. I got to the only way to hunt them. That's that's a great food sources. Scout them food sources both season first and foremost. I, don't, I really don't worry about the bedding area then. You know, you can push him later with with the guns in there or the bows. You know, there's a lot of bow hunting only man there that uh, I got. I killed probably, but both season find those early acorns and that'd be uh that'd be little water oaks, pin oaks, and uh, if you can find that early white oak, chestnut oak. What have you, man? You, you got a gold mine there. Yeah. So, uh, Glenn, I, I got another question for you, and I, I, I really like asking guys like yourself this question, and I've asked this to a couple other guests that we've had on the past. Uh, and, and the question is, really, it first starts with a statement. I heard this from some guy back in the day, and I really do believe it that 
you know, 10% of the hunters are killing uh, on public land. 10% of the hunters are killing roughly 9% of the game. Uh, kind of like guys you're, like yourself, guys that are going in that have the knowledge, the know-how, and have the drive to go in there and are just absolute killers. Now, with that being said, what is your thought on what is the defining factor from like average Joe Blow that goes on public land? He he may or may not even kill a deer in a year. He might kill a doe or a little buck, whatever. Compared to guys like yourself or some of your buddies who are going on, you're having tremendous success on public land, almost to the point that people almost won't be able be able to believe it. You know, what's like the defining factor between again like yourself and some of your buddies to like old Joe Blow that's just going out there and you know says he hunts public land, but you know he's really not doing much. Uh, well, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to let the lesser deer the lesser deer go. If you're in an area where with uh seeing a good bit of deer, whether it be a port or they're there because of a food source or near their bed in their security area, they, they the bigger bucks gonna come around. Uh they're gonna be around there to check on the does and all and uh, you got a lot of lot of let a lot of deer go. You know, that's one reason I had such a great year. I got behind on we process all our own meat. I freeze everything in quarters and throughout the year I, I get a certain amount out and process and eat it, but, but due to a lot of travel and some other factors, we got behind on our processing. So I wound up actually trophy hunting more than a lot. So, I mean, I trophy hunting more because I really didn't need a meat. I just watching the deer. I'd get a meat there every now and then. But by passing these, passing these deer up, I mean, that's always been added. You got to pass them up to get the bigger one. And if you're in a good deer spot and you're seeing deer, they, and they're going to get bigger and, and uh, if you got early season basher groups, 90% of the time, had to, and them bugs get bigger as they come out. And it seems like the biggest one is always the last one. And sometimes they'll be a few minutes behind them. He won't necessarily be single file or within sight, neither. So uh, you got to watch. And, and our deer, our, we have so many does that come in early in a rut. You, you could have a hot doe anytime in, in September or to February. And, and we, we, we're seeing this, this ruts faced out now there's you know there, there you'll be a strong winter in the area you know so you'll see more bucks running if the weather's great if it's hot you don't even, we won't even see much ready it'll all be done at night in case but you gotta die just you know just pass up the deer and stay in those areas where other deer is and you're gonna see the bigger one sooner or later yep well that, that's awesome and i'm glad you kind of said it because i think a lot of guys you know, I think you put enough time on public land and you really just try to learn and don't get stuck in a stuck in a rut. You know, there's so many guys out there that I know, because I've been there, where you keep doing the same old same and you get the same results, okay? And when the results aren't great, like you're not killing those big deer or you're not even killing deer period or you're not even seeing deer in public land, you got to change. You got to change up what you're doing. And it seems like you've done it enough in the past where you know when to change, how to change. You know, if one property's not hot, you're going to another property. You're trying to get on that hot sign, that, that hot action, which is fantastic. Now, to kind of like wrap up this episode, you know, what is uh, maybe like a last piece of advice you'd give to uh, both me and Andrew and also our listeners out there on just hunting public land or just high pressure, you know, private land? You know, what's a piece of advice you'd give us uh, to kind of wrap up this episode? Uh, it'd be hard to pick any one thing. Uh, I just run through a nutshell. I reckon, uh, you got, you need to, when you hunt these WMAs, you gotta, you gotta hunt deep, hunt thick, check all them places that other people know they're riding right by that's, that's ugly from the road. I mean, a lot of, I've killed a lot of ugly places. I, I got two or three places on some thick areas. I'm watching everybody drive by in the truck. I ain't waiting for everybody coming by me. I killed, killed this every year in them. But check them places out, other people, where other people ain't going. Look for clues to other people. You can see 
where they put out old trails and old ribbons and you see the rest of Joe tacks and climb trees and toilet paper behind the bushes and and whatnot. Just find, try to find, go out there with a mentality. You want to find your spot. You want to find a honey hole. You determine to find it, no matter how how much it takes. Uh, burn that boot leather. Get that GPS. That GPS, you can shrink down acreage quick, quick. Every time you find a good area, mark it. Then you can drive other roads a lot of time and drive up and hit that waypoint. Man, that's a shortcut through here. And in a lot of them places, you start connecting dots. You'll see you start seeing a kind of a nucleus of an area where most of the sign is. Just stay away from people, hunt deep, hunt thick, hunt nasty, uh, overlooked areas. And, and uh, come gun season, get start getting thicker in if you, where they suspect they bed. And and, uh, and like I mentioned, I reckon the other one of the biggest things is, I mean, if you can scout the day after a hunt, or if you have to scout right before the hunt, you know, some of them deer come back. You ain't going to run all the deer off. But like I said, you're going to always have them big bucks. They're going to be connecting dots. Get there and go find out where they're at and find a loop for any clue, any clue of anybody hunting around there. You'll see signs that somebody hunts that area. Find a try to find your area. Somewhere's going to pay off for you. And stay and find it and prep it and stay out to the, to the morning you're going to go in there and kill something. You know, first time in the, in the best time. And if somebody wants to hunt Georgia WMAs, Shoot, we'll help you. We are a loose knitted group of us. We we're easy to find on the internet through GON and blogs and Facebook and stuff like that. And if you out there, if we out there somewhere, give us a shout on Facebook. We'll help you out. We'll get you started. I got way more than I can hunt. I'll point anybody anywhere. I help a I help a lot of people. That's one reason I started writing. If we don't help help all these people start you know, killing deer and catching fish, they're going to quit. There's, man, there's, our numbers are dwindling down. They're bad. And we're going to, we're going to want to be, we lost our, you know, our rights to hunt and fish. Cause, yeah. You know, these uh, millennials ain't doing it much. And, and you see so many people, so many younger people start, they'll go buy everything. That's part of enthusiasm. They'll be getting new camo and guns and stands and, and even people fishing, they get them a boat and you're right, and they all enthusiastic and they'll go out gung ho a trip or two and they don't do nothing. They're done. You see all that stuff on the sales tight on the sale post and they sell it and they quit and they get rid of it. If those same people would have went out and had somebody help them have some success, you would hook them and that would keep our very much keep our hunting heritage alive. You know, I love it. I love to help people. I'd rather. You know, I'd really care if somebody see them kill one to me. You know, I'm a, I don't, you know, Lord bless me tremendously. If I don't kill another one, I could just, I could just guide people around. Don't charge them a dime. I, I help people all the time. I put them a stand, walk them up in their stand and everything, you know, kind of show them what to look for. And then later on, they, they kind of, look, you know, they can do it themselves. You know, let's help each other. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I, I couldn't agree with you more. So, if anybody wants to go check out some of Glenn's past work, you can go to georgiaoutdoornews.com or go to your local gas station or grocery store or wherever you can find a Georgia Outdoor News magazine near you and uh, pick up pick up a magazine and read what he's got because it's good stuff. I, I definitely learned from him. So, uh, Glenn, man, we cannot thank you enough for coming on the show today. This has been a really good conversation and got me even more excited for deer season, which I didn't know was possible. <laughs> 
All right. Just just let folks know, you know, I don't want people to think I'm Daniel Boone or tell them my way is the only way, but that's <laughs> this is all I do. It's pretty simple. That's what I do, and I keep killing critters, you know, and I keep eating them booze, though. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, man. But give us a shout. We can help anybody. A lot of my article got an email in there if they're going somewhere for me or whatever. I'll try, I'll try to help them out. I might not give you my honey hole until I know you a little bit, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah. i give you something you can start on. And always be prepared. You need to add out, I recommend. Be prepared to move. You know, I've got there. I always have a backup standard, too. You know, I've even walked a mile, and, and, and people come everywhere, and I, I just, you know, I just bite the bullet. I just climb down and leave. I'll go find somewhere else. <laughs> you know, whatever daylight or not, you know, I'll yeah. just move. Move. Somebody got to adapt. You see the deer moving way out of range. Here, my Move over there. Do what, get over there. You got to be where the deer is. You, a lot of people want to hunt. I said, I got a friend, other friend that did it. They want to kill the deer where they want to want them to be, where they want to mm. hunt. You got to hunt where the deer want to be. You can't hunt where you want to be. <laughs> yes. Hey, that, that is the quote of this episode. Yep. That's right. That's <laughs> right, man. <laughs> you can't kill them where you want them to be. You got to kill them where they want to be. That, that I've been saying that for a couple of years yeah. now. That is so true. So awesome. Yeah. Going. I live, yeah. I leave you with a funny one. I'm not sure the guy couldn't speak English with him. Yet. <laughs> Spanish weather, Puerto Rican or something. And, and I, and he was having a very, very rough time killing deer on the day. Man, I found a honey hole. I wanted Probably one of the better. I would say one of the top five spots I found in 35 years of sign. It was a, oh goodness, at the sign. I said, oh man, anybody can kill a deer here. Uh, probably a good one. And I carried him in there, and he's a big guy, and he's scared to, he's scared to get off the ground very high, I reckon. And and I'm looking at pointing all the sign, and look at all these scrapes. Look at these. Look at the size of these rows, man. They almost above your knees, boy. It's a big one. And look at that track right there, you know. Good Lord, look at all this sign. Deer coming everywhere, food right here. I said, look where these two bucks fighting. The whole time he's never looking at another point. He's looking around, looking for a big tree. So he, <laughs> and, uh, and he said, no no big pine. He can't speak. No big pine, let's go. <laughs> what? No big pine, let's go. No good. No big pine. I said, anyway, I, went, I, I killed three wall hangers the next three times I hunted over the year. Oh, man. <laughs> he wanted to hunt where... Where he wanted to be, you got to hunt where the deer got to be, <laughs> where the deer want to be. I mean, and uh, it was kind of funny, but they each his own, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> All right, man. We, well, we might have to have you back on pretty soon. We appreciate you coming out, man, and uh, I hope you have as good a year as you had last year this season. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a, a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, we talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, All the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. 
A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no-brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.